Hello and welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. This podcast is for anyone who wants to improve their English and at the same time learn more about life in this country. You can find a transcript, that is a written record of this episode, on our website. Details of how to find this are at the end of this episode. This week's episode is introduced by Christine. Okay, um, welcome to the podcast, English for Life in the UK. Uh, this week, we're again going to be talking about early Britain. But we're, last week, we finished uh, with the Romans, and we're going to look at some of the people who came to this country after the Romans, the Anglo-Saxons, the Vikings, uh, and the Normans. And this week, as well as myself, we have Mark and John. So I wonder, how are you, Mark? I'm good, thank you, Christine. Yeah, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, I went to see my grandchild um, this week for the first time for about six weeks, and uh, and it was it it was a lovely experience for me. Just to remind me, she's only fifteen months old and going through a, a lovely phase. So I really enjoyed that. How lovely! It's so hard for grandparents now during these lockdowns and these restrictions. So I'm yeah. so glad you got to see her. What about you, John? How are you? I'm very well, Christine, yeah, carrying on uh, with some of our ESOL classes online, things like that, so, which is, which is good that we can carry that on through lockdown, so it's, it's, it's not interrupting our work at St Augustine's no, too much, is it? It's good, I mean, we all complain about this technology, but we're so reliant on it now, it, it is quite magic, yeah. So, Mark, would you like to start us off by telling us something about uh, what happened in this country after the Romans left? Yes, OK. So last week, uh, John was telling us a bit about uh, the Romans in Britain. And uh, as he said, eventually they had simply had to leave Britain. A few of them stayed, but most of them went because they were needed elsewhere to fight different wars in the in the Roman Empire. Um, that was around 400 AD. Um, and from that point onwards, really for about the next 600 years, there were various different people who came to Britain. Um, but in particular, two groups called the Angles and the Saxons. Now, they came from northern Europe, what is now uh, largely Germany, also little bits of Scandinavia as well. And they're generally referred to now as the Anglo-Saxons. So those two groups are kind of put together. And there were a number of different um, invasions from the Anglo-Saxons and they settled into different parts of Britain um, and they were separate kingdoms. It wasn't a single unified country in any real sense. So there were different kingdoms, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms in different parts of uh, the United Kingdom, particularly England. And the four main kingdoms were called East Anglia, which still exists now as an area, 
which isn't exactly the same as the Anglo-Saxon region, but it's quite close to it on the east of, it, of England. And then you've got Mercia, which was basically in what is now the Midlands, what we would call the Midlands of England. There's Wessex, which was more in the west, particularly the southwest of England. And then the whole of the, the northern part of England was under what was called Northumbria, um, which these days there is a county called Northumberland, but Northumbria was much larger than that, was pretty much what we would regard now as the north of England. So uh, though the, those people came, they settled, they um, built little villages, we'd probably call them now, um, mostly wooden houses. They were mostly farmers and hunters. Um, small settlements there. There were occasional um, uh, battles between them and the, the Britons who'd, who'd been here originally before them. Um, but also they kind of settled into a, a, a way of a way of living. Uh, they brought their language and we're going to talk much more about the development of the English language in a future episode. But we often refer to it as Anglo-Saxon uh, because that is where the beginnings of what became the English language really, really comes from. Before that, it was largely Latin as well as some um, Celtic and local languages that were being spoken uh, at, at that time. Um, one interesting, we were talking last time about archaeologists, the people who dig up and find evidence of the past. And one of the most famous ones from this period is at a place called Sutton Hoo, mm. uh, which is in modern day Suffolk. And there they found a buried boat, you know, a wooden, huge wooden boat that had been buried with lots of treasure and armour. And they think that it was probably a burial site for one of the kings. And there is a famous, the Sutton Who helmet uh, is, is, I think, in the British Museum um, and is one of the most famous artefacts of, of British history that's of, often referred to there. So that's a, that's a little bit about the Anglo-Saxons. But during that whole period when when Anglo-Saxons became the dominant force, there were also other invasions and particularly from the Vikings. Now, the Vikings came from what is modern day Denmark and Norway, and a lot of them came and raided. That means they landed, uh, fought quick battles and took away treasures, took away uh, whatever they could find, really, including slaves, um, often very violent. Um, some of them, however, didn't just raid, come in and go away again with the treasures and the, and the slaves. They actually settled. So there was, were also some Viking settlements. One of the most famous ones of, though, that, of those is around what is modern day York, but which was called Jorvik. Um, and that is a, a Viking name. And from Jorvik, we get Yorkshire. And so actually the, the modern county of Yorkshire, where we are based, uh, actually has a lot of its origins in those that uh, Viking period. 
So that's a bit about the Vikings. The other thing I wanted to say a little bit about is John mentioned how the Romans had begun to bring Christianity to um, Britain. But in fact, it was also during this Anglo-Saxon period that um, Christianity began to develop in a more um, uh, serious way. And that was partly as a result of a person called St. Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine of Canterbury, as he has become known, um, arrived in Britain in the 6th century. Um, and he was born in Rome, but he came and he brought uh, the, a lot of the developing ideas about Christianity to Britain. And he eventually became the first Archbishop of Canterbury. And the Archbishop of Canterbury is one of the key um, figures in the Church of England still today, always has been ever since. However, there is a second Saint Augustine. However, there is a second Saint Augustine, often referred to as Saint Augustine of Hippo. Now, he actually comes from North Africa, but at the time of the Roman Empire. So he was part of the Roman Empire, but in North Africa. And this was an earlier period, the fourth century. And he was a theologian and philosopher. So he wrote and had ideas about um, Christianity and about ideas of modern living and of how people should relate to each other. And he was very important in the development of Christianity. Now, there is no evidence that he ever came to Britain. However, the centre where the three of us are based and uh, do our volunteering um, is the St. Augustine Centre, is actually named after that St. Augustine, oh. the one who actually originated in North Africa. And that's uh, particularly interesting for us because of many of our students, of course, that we work with are themselves refugees from North Africa. And so the link there is very, very strong. Very interesting. I hadn't realised there were two St. Augustines. Um, I think, John, you're going to tell us about another big invasion uh, of the Normans. And I think it's that magic date that we all know, what we all learned at school here in Britain. 1066. It is, it's a date that everybody, everybody remembers from their school history lessons, yeah. of course, Christine, 1066 and all that. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the Normans, who they were and how they changed the face of, of society in this country. So Norman basically means man from the north. So a lot of people think of the Normans as being French because they came from Normandy, uh, the north, uh, the northern part of France. But as the name suggests, they were originally Vikings, like the Vikings that Mark were just talking about who had been invading Britain and Ireland. So they settled about 200 years previous to invading England. So they, what they did, they settled in Normandy, they intermarried with the French people who lived there, they adopted French as their language, uh, adopted Christianity, very importantly, but they retained the warrior spirit and the expansion ideas of, of their Viking uh, predecessors. So we have Edward the Confessor as the last Anglo-Saxon king of England. Edward died without an heir, which means he didn't have a son who 
normally the son would be the next king, would take over, as, as we call it, the heir to the throne. Um, so there were competition as to who should inherit the throne from Edward. Um, Harold Godwinson was the main English claimant to the throne. Uh, there was also William of Normandy, who was convinced that he had been promised the throne by Edward before he passed away. Um, eventually, this led to the Battle of Hastings, where William of Normandy brought across his knights, infantry and cavalry, uh, and landed on the south coast of England. And in October 1066, he was met in battle by Harold Godwinson. Uh, Harold's army were defeated. Harold was killed by an arrow to the eye. I think we know quite a bit of that from something called Brilliant. the Bayou okay, Tapestry. Is that right? We d we do. Um, it's. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to a program about this recently, uh, <clears throat> and more recent historical research has proved that it wasn't actually made in Normandy, as was previously believed. It was made in England. Um, and it is actually an embroidery, not a tapestry. <laughs> so it's, it's to be a little bit pedantic. But yeah, it is. anybody who's ever in that part of the world in Normandy, I've visited it myself. It's a magnificent historical document. It, um, it details all of the background of William going uh, to meet with um, King Edward. Um, and then it shows them all actually building the ships it illustrates Haley's Comet as well, which is a phenomenon that comes around uh, every 78 years. So in the year of 1066, the comet appeared, and this was seen by the Normans to be a great, like a, a, a great sign that they were going to have a victory. So that, that's actually featured on it as well. And then, as you say, it goes on it to is. show the battle in all its gory it detail. Is. Now, that's the invasion, the battle, and things like that covered. Now... This was a huge turning point. One of the reasons everybody remembers the date from school, it was such a huge turning point in English history because, first of all, the language changed. Um, the, the people who were running the country spoke Norman French, whereas the ordinary peasants and ordinary people did continue to speak Anglo-Saxon. Eventually, the Anglo-Saxon and the French that the Normans were speaking merged into one to give us our modern English that we're all learning today. Uh, we can still see this in things like synonym pairs. So cow would be the Anglo-Saxon word or beef would be the French word. So we can see the differences to this day that we've got in the language. They also undertook a survey. So they looked, they mapped every square mile of land and all the, all the best land, um, and farmland and estates were given over to the Norman knights. So they became the new ruling class in England. They took over all the land of the, all the old barons and lords and what have you. So it completely changed the face of society and the economy in this country. The other thing I just mentioned there, the castles. We, can, we were saying we, do, we don't see that much uh, physical evidence of the Roman occupation of this country, but we still see in all our towns and cities, a great deal of evidence um, in, in terms of castles and cathedrals. So in every population centre where the Normans landed to build a big stone castle, so that if the, if the locals were rebellious or uprising or fighting back against them, that they'd be safe in their castle 
and they could use that to project their authority onto the surrounding area. So places like the York Minster, Durham Cathedral, Westminster Abbey, all these places were begun and built by the Normans. Uh, anybody who travels across North Wales as well, Carnarvon Castle, Bomaris Castle, all these places were built by the Normans to control the population. So we still see that in our in our lived environment every day. Um, as I say, there were, like we had with the Romans, there was some resistance to this, especially in the north of England, where we're broadcasting from. So it went on with um, rebellions in Northumberland, in Yorkshire, people like Hereward the Wake, who fought, who continued to fight for the Anglo-Saxon way of life against the new, new rulers. And this led in the late 1060s um, to William moving up to the north with his armies uh, and engaged in what was known as a scorched earth policy. This was called the harrying of the north. And they slaughtered tens and tens of thousands of people, burnt the cities down, burnt the crops, poisoned the wells. Um, a really, really dreadful time to be in the north of England. But after all this had been dealt with, Norman power was firmly established and they went on, as we've said, to invade Wales and latterly in the 1100s to invade Ireland as well, which saw the beginning of 800 years of English and later British uh, colonisation and control of Ireland. Language support. This is the part of the podcast where I choose some words or phrases from the episode and explain them in a little more detail. I'm going to focus on two things today. John, when he was talking about the development of uh, the English language from the French, uh, talked about synonym pairs. He was talking about pairs of words which meant the same, but in this case came from the two different languages, from French and from Anglo-Saxon. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about synonym pairs in general. So these are words or phrases that mean the same or nearly the same. There are lots of them in English. Here are just a few examples. End and finish. Fast and quick. Help and assist. Buy and purchase. Fun and enjoyment. I suggest you try to find as many that you can think of to add to that list. Secondly, I'm going to talk about the word pedantic. So John was talking about the Bayou Tapestry. So this is this very impressive, almost 70 metre long piece of cloth on which are pictures that tell the story of William the Conqueror and his invasion of Britain and winning the Battle of Hastings. John was saying that the recent evidence shows that actually the tapestry was made in England, 
although it now is in a museum in Bayeux in France. He also said that it isn't actually a tapestry, but an embroidery. The differences between these are small, but a tapestry is something that is woven on a loom. That is a machine that takes different threads and then weaves them together. An embroidery is something that is sewn onto a piece of cloth using lots of different threads. Both create pictures onto cloth. So John was saying that although this he was questioning whether the Bayou tapestry came from Bayou and was actually a tap- tapestry, that that was being pedantic. He said, I'm being a little pedantic. To be pedantic is to be overly concerned with, too focused on minor differences, minor details or rules. So does it really matter whether it was made in England or in France? Does it really matter whether it was a tapestry or an embroidery? No, it's still an incredibly impressive uh, historical artefact, historical um, piece of cloth you can see in a museum in France. To say that it's not really a tapestry and that it was actually made in England, John was saying was being a bit pedantic. That's it for this week. You can find the transcript, that's the written version of this episode, on our website www.staugustinescentrehalifax.org.uk and that's where you can also find links to all the other episodes and the transcripts so you can listen and read along at the same time. That's also where you can find out how to donate to help our work. We are a charity supporting particularly refugees, asylum seekers and migrants, but also all those in need in our local area. And uh, we would welcome your support if you felt able to give it. If you follow on the website the links to get involved and donate. We also have an email address that's English for Life in the UK at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, your thoughts on our podcast and ideas for the future. We also have a Twitter account at Esol Saint, and there is additional material on that site. I'll spell out all those addresses. So the website www.staugustinescentrehalifax.org.uk
www.ghostsofthecoast.org.uk So that's the website. The email is English for Life in the UK at gmail.com and that's English for spelt F O R. And finally, the Twitter account is at capital E S O L capital S A I N T. Thank you very much for joining us and we will be back with you again very soon. Goodbye for now.